Hi, guys. Welcome back to another episode of the Circuit Research Podcast, where we dive into the all too often glossed over details, nuance, and context of marketing business and data. I'm Victoria Gamlin. I run marketing here at Circuit Research. And I'm Jeff Circuit, founder and CEO of Circuit Research. We are a B2B research firm. We specialize in what we call demand research, which is a research approach specifically designed to drive growth. It has three core pillars. So first, product-specific surveys. This ensures that all the insights connect back to your solution in an organic way that drives demand. Second, an audience made up solely of your ideal buyers. This ensures that all the insights are relevant. If they wouldn't buy your product, we don't survey them. And third, an analysis layer. So we extract the key takeaways and provide actionable insights. And the end result is a foundation for a foolproof go-to-market strategy. So what are we talking about today? Well, it's January, state of report season. So today we will be diving into research reports. So from our work, we've read and analyzed over, I would say, over 100 B2B SaaS reports at this point, not hyperbole. And so from that, we've narrowed down the themes and patterns of what people do wrong with their reports. And when we say wrong, we mean why they don't see an ROI, why they don't drive demand. And so we narrowed it down to seven key reasons. We actually did a webinar on this a couple months back as well. So if you're a visual learner and want to see us critique some B2B SaaS reports, you can check that out in the show notes. And we want to be clear, everything we're about to go over, you know, these mistakes are rarely mutually exclusive. They're very intertwined and most reports are guilty of multiple of these mistakes at the same time. All right, let's dive in. So first things first, what is the point of a research report? I think if you ask most companies that, they would say it's to build or establish authority in their products category. What would you say, Jeff? Yeah, I agree. I, I think it'd be some combination of becoming a thought leader and driving demand. And I don't think that's the wrong answer, to be honest. Of course, obviously, <laughs> that second one. But the way it gets executed is often just a giant dump of disconnected stats meets heavy-handed ad. The whole point of a research report is to show that you understand your ideal customer's problem best so that when they are ready to buy, they come to you. So that is the vantage point from which we'll be going over these mistakes. Okay, the first reason your report isn't driving demand. The scope of your report is too broad. And what do we mean by scope? We mean that your report is too high level and that your solution is really only a small sliver of the topic. So when the content in your report extends well beyond the solution that you actually provide, it makes it impossible to connect the readers back to your product without being heavy handed. And if you can't connect back to your solution in a way that doesn't turn off your audience, your report cannot drive demand. Yeah, being too broad with, starts with the ideation and approach to the project. That then turns into survey questions that are too high level. And then you have a report that's too disconnected from the product you sell, which is a major problem if your goal is to drive demand from your report. And this too broad of scope is the main culprit for why research reports read so much like an ad. Structurally speaking, it's impossible not to. And I think a lot of people think a big, broad state of product category X report is going to, you know, establish authority and build that leadership. It's not. No one reads those and thinks, wow, they are so insightful. That company has now been elevated in my mind as a pioneer of original thought on this topic. Because what you have to understand is industry and market trends don't establish authority. Specific expertise does. So an example of this, reports on AI, super popular Nothing wrong with them inherently. But the issue is the assumption that latching onto this topic will drive demand, and a lot of companies are under this. So if you're a podcast editing software with one AI feature, and this is a real example, by the way, but you publish a report on the state of AI, 
building a bridge from the broad topic of AI to why readers need this specific podcast editing software with one AI feature is impossible to do without being heavy handed. And, you know, even if a report with a broad topic does get a lot of engagement, it's going to produce a lot of false positives for your sales team if it's gated. So you'll drive leads, but not revenue. Yeah. Promoting reports about how AI is impacting your industry or product category today is likely to get a lot of interest. That increased attention is because the topic has more broad appeal. But that means many of the people interested in your report are not people who'd be buyers of your product. So even if you are able to clear that first hurdle of building the bridge to your solution, if the readers aren't in your ICP, it won't lead to more demand for your product. And this is what we mean by false positives. You might get more downloads or more page views, but if the audience isn't potential buyers, it won't move the needle on the metrics that matter. I think the same thing, frankly, about social media. If you're using LinkedIn to drive demand for your business, you shouldn't be measuring the success of your content solely based on the number of likes you get. The broader and more generic your content is, the more likes it's going to get. So optimizing for the wrong metrics will lead you in a bad strategy. Yeah, absolutely. And just to be clear, there is nothing wrong with gating your report or gating your content. You know, the way to solve for this false lead issue that we're mentioning is not to just ungate your report. The issue is with the, in the broadness of the report itself. And just a note on gated content at large, you know, the issue with gated content has nothing to do with the gatedness. The issue is twofold. Number one, most gated content was never worth gating in the first place. And so the issue isn't that your content is gated. Your issue is that your content isn't relevant to your audience. And two, the level of interest for someone downloading your content, it doesn't match the level of contact that ensues from the company afterwards. So, you know, the million emails, your phone blowing up. So the gatedness, again, it's not the issue. It's what happens after you hit submit on the lead form. But in short, the broader the topic of your research report, the more people are going to want to read it. So just know that before you gate it, because you will get heat from your sales team about the quality of the leads you're driving from it. Now, there are exceptions. So big companies like HubSpot, Salesforce, you know, they publish those super generic reports. But guess what? Their goal isn't to drive demand. It's to flood the market with content for SEO purposes. And they do a great job of that. They crush it. But you are trying to drive demand. So don't do this. You need to be very mindful of who you compare yourself to, uh, because unless you have billions of dollars in revenue and you're playing a really, really long game when it comes to content, this won't work for you. Yeah, absolutely. And the good news is you can have your cake and eat it too with regards to SEO and your reports. And we'll get into what that looks like in the next episode. The second reason your research report is not driving demand, your survey audience is not your ICP. A lot of companies think that having 500 plus respondents for their research report will impress readers. They also think it's necessary for the data to matter. It won't, and you don't. More respondents does not equal a quote-unquote better research report. More respondents past a certain threshold means a less targeted audience, because the only way to get that many people is to sacrifice specificity. And a less targeted audience leads to irrelevant data, which leads to an irrelevant report. And an irrelevant report will never drive demand, because relevance is required for your audience to care. And if they don't care, they're not going to buy. So this topic gets into statistical significance, which is essentially the threshold at which point your data becomes valid. And you don't need as many respondents as you think to achieve this. Now, will more respondents increase the confidence level? Yes, definitely. And there is nothing wrong with wanting to get as many respondents as possible, but more respondents must never come at the cost of diluting your survey audience. And the truth is, increasing the confidence level past a certain point really only matters in academia. And the last time I checked, you're here to make money not publish your research in some peer-reviewed medical journal. Yeah. And just to clarify, confidence level is a technical term. You can never achieve complete certainty in statistics. It's about a threshold. 
We'll be doing a separate episode on statistical significance in the near future, but it depends on the number of responses and how big of a difference there is between the answers. But in order to achieve a, an acceptable level of statistical significance, usually at 95% confidence, it doesn't take 500 responses. In our surveys, we don't allow for fewer than 100 responses in total. Again, more responses, not a bad thing, but you don't want to sacrifice the specificity of your audience. Yeah. So on that note, just because you don't need 500 plus respondents to achieve statistical significance doesn't mean your survey respondents can be just anyone. So in order for your research of any kind to drive demand, the survey respondents must be within your ICP. Not on the outskirts, not on the fringe, squarely within your ICP. And this is one of the three core pillars of demand research, along with product-specific surveys, which we just went over. And there's a reason for that. There is no way to get insights that are relevant to your target audience, which is what is required to drive demand, unless you get the insights directly from them. So this is not a suggestion, you know, this ICP survey audience. It is a requirement if you want to drive an ROI with your research. If they wouldn't buy your product, there is no reason they should be included. And the best way to understand this is to think of your ICP as the bullseye of a dartboard. Couple millimeters in any direction, and you will get a completely different score. Could be 20, could be three. And the same is true for your survey audience. So straying even just a little bit from your ICP can have a huge impact on the relevance and the strength of the insights. So before you invest in research, that means you need to get clear on who you are and aren't for. All right, the third reason your research report isn't driving demand. You are focusing on your product instead of your audience's pain points. We've all heard the phrase, people love to buy, but they hate to be sold to. But people need two things before buying of any kind. Number one, to feel understood. And number two, to know what problem you solve. So when you skip over these things and you go straight to talking about how great your product is, you go straight to just selling them. You remove those two prerequisites. And so this is another thing that really contributes to your research report reading like a giant ad. So many companies skip straight to why their product makes their audience's job easier and better, but they haven't told or shown that they understand why it's hard in the first place. Yeah, go to websites and you'll see so much talk about how everybody's product is the best in its category and obviously better than all of its competitors, but it's taking the wrong perspective. You work at the company, you have the curse of knowledge. So you get so focused around why your product is the obvious best solution and you want to show everyone, but you forget that the majority of your audience isn't at that stage. You've completely missed the part about why your ideal buyer should even care about what your product does in the first place. Totally. And there's another logical reason why focusing on the pain points works in addition to what Jeff just said about people not even being problem aware yet, right? A lot of SaaS companies sell to people who aren't aware that they have a problem. But the other logical reason uh, why focusing on the pain points works. So when we're knee deep in a problem, we naturally want to close the loop in our minds and find a solution. So even if I'm not your target audience and I'm reading your report that really describes the challenge well, I'm going to be like, oh my God, what happens next, right? How do I solve this problem? I'm going to be on high alert for a solution just naturally because of the setup of the report. And so this mistake, interestingly enough, it's often found right off the bat in the title of the report. So the example we used in the webinar, there was a report that was called the value of enablement software. Why should I care about that? Yeah. As a potential buyer, why would I be interested in a report that was about how valuable a particular product category is? You know, if the title and focus of the report was on the challenges faced by sales professionals, for example... I'd be much more interested in reading it. And the irony that I want to bring up is that in a lot of cases, the content really doesn't even need to change that much. It doesn't need to be that different, but you have to start with the pain points and give the reader a reason to care about the solution first. Yeah, that is such a good point. It really can sometimes be such a small tweak that makes a really big difference. 
But the bottom line is you must make readers feel like you truly understand their problems and their world in order for your report to drive demand. And there's no right way to do this. It's really not necessarily about the length, though that might be related. But you could write several pages on an issue and it could still just be fluff. You could still say nothing. You could still not get to the crux of the issue. When it comes to research reports, the majority of the content should be about the challenges your ideal customers face. And to be honest, very little about the solution. You need to let the audience get there on their own. And we'll go over that in a lot more detail in the next episode on how to create research reports that do drive demand. All right. The fourth reason your research report is not driving demand. You're using FOMO as a reason to buy your product. So this looks something like 79% of CMOs will invest in conversion rate optimization software in 2023. Or 90% of companies are willing to pay for a system that controls and manages all non-payroll spend and 29% have an above average interest in such a system. Who cares? And this is super, super common. And there's two mistakes here I want to go over. One, the FOMO. But two, the rogue data points as quote unquote key takeaways, which they're not. They're rogue data points. But back to the FOMO, I've never understood why this is the go-to way that companies you know, use to convince readers of the value of their solution. You and me both. If I were a marketing leader, there might be plenty of reasons why I'd consider looking into conversion rate optimization software. None of those reasons are because 79% of other marketing leaders are doing it. And it's so much more when companies lead with that in the reports as if that's the mic drop. Yes, exactly. As if that's a, a key takeaway and as if it's worthy of being the headline too. That is another added layer there. But X percent of people are planning to invest in Y product category in the next year is not a reason to buy software. It's very all the cool kids are doing it, right? With like the peer pressure. And this works for drugs and cigarettes. It does not work for software or large business purchases. Because as a buyer, I don't care about that. You know, back to the last mistake, I need to know what specific problem your product solves for me, not what other people are quote unquote planning to do. Exactly. It, it always comes back to the pain points. What are the challenges that the reader is facing that your product can help them solve? Again, in a lot of cases, the content of the report doesn't even need to change much. But you need to start by telling me why I should care and lead with that instead of how many of my peers are thinking about doing it. Exactly. And I've said it before and I'll say it again and I will keep saying it because it's one of the marketing hills I'm very willing to die on you cannot peer pressure or guilt trip companies into making a purchase as a business, ever. Making a purchase of any kind as a business is about fit. It is not based on emotion. And anyone who thinks that has never made a purchase on behalf of a business before. But what this means for your research report is that it needs to clearly show why your audience is a fit for your product and why that you are a fit for their business. That is it. Okay, the fifth reason your research report isn't driving demand. There's no analysis, aka it's just a data dump. Most B2B SaaS research reports aren't research reports at all. They're just a collection of disconnected stats meets heavy-handed ad with some graphic design. But let's focus on that first one, the data dump of disconnected stats. So this happens for two reasons. First, an inability to extract insight from data. Extracting insights from data is really hard. It, within companies, the business people don't have data skills and the data people don't understand the business. This manifests itself in major communication issues between marketers and analysts and not enough value coming from the data. Yeah, and we'll be diving into that topic later on. Actually, a really big, important one. But the second reason this data dump happens is because companies think a lot of stats is impressive. They think it builds authority, you know, like we talked about in the beginning. It's not impressive. Your stats are overwhelming and they mean nothing to your readers. 
they don't even mean anything to you, if we're being completely honest. And when it comes to driving demand, this is an issue because stats don't drive demand. Actual insights that connect to a business outcome do. And the reason they don't drive demand is because you're leaving it up to the reader to find the storyline. And if you can't even find the storyline for your own data, what makes you think they'll be able to? And so if there's no story, there's no relevance. And if there's no relevance, you can't drive demand. And honestly, the more data I see in a report, the more suspect it is. Jeff and I talked about this on our last episode. When we see a lot of data, whether it's in a report, in a LinkedIn post, whatever, that's a red flag to us. And Jeff, you had such a great way of putting it. Yeah. When I see reports that are just stuffed with stats, it's a signal to me that you don't know what's important. And you really hit the nail on the head there. You know, For reports to be effective, there needs to be a balance between stats and the context for why they matter. What's the point that the stat is proven? The same thing happens, to be honest, with marketing reporting. When companies have 80-page monthly marketing re- results presentations or hundreds of different reports in their BI tool, it's because they don't know what's important to show. And it turns into reporting out on activity instead of business impact. And like, look at all the stuff we're doing. And even if you do have a decent storyline, if you overload it with a bunch of stats, you'll completely distract from it. And when I say storyline there, I don't mean making stuff up. You know, this word story has kind of become a buzzword. When I say story, I mean the so what aspect from the data. And this can be actionable insight, but it can also be a building block to the actionable insight. And the so what is most likely going to be in the pain points part where you're digging into the problem. And it really doesn't have to be an extensive breakdown. Oftentimes, it's just a matter of adding one or two sentences as to why this matters to the audience, you know, that connective tissue that honestly really makes all the difference. Okay, so an example we see a lot of this is when companies run their surveys with respondents from across different industries. And they predetermine that they're going to show how every question breaks down across industries. But what often happens is that there are no real differences by industry in the responses. But they still insist on showing all the data in the report. And so now it's just turned into four times, five times as many data points on the page. And it's like they're trying to get credit for having thought ahead to include multiple industries, like they want a pat on the back. But when there's no real difference that emerges between the data, then it's just confusing. And it really does more harm than good. Because as a reader, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, wow, there must be a reason why they're showing this, right? And I'm trying to find that reason. And it's not there. And it honestly just leads to this kind of gaslighting experience where I feel like I should be understanding something or I feel like I'm not smart enough to understand the data. And this company is just so much smarter than me. But there's really nothing going on. And for the record, you should absolutely see if there are differences across industries or countries or whatever when looking at the data internally. But if there aren't any, don't put them in the report just to fill space. A lot of times companies write the story before they've done the research and they think they just need some stats to validate their story. But what they don't realize is that not just any stats will back up their claims. Often it confuses the readers and distracts them from the point you're trying to make. The other thing to mention is we're not trying to say stats are bad. It's honestly more about balancing the data points with the right amount of context. Each stat needs room to breathe and to be able to sink in. Yeah, I'd say that's the biggest feedback we have for content writers, actually, when it comes to report writing, this idea that each stat needs room to breathe. You cannot just pummel the reader with stat after stat after stat. But yeah, the bottom line is, if you're going to show stats, you must also tell your readers why they matter to them. Not why they matter to your product, why they matter to them. They will automatically matter to you if you keep the scope of your research limited to what your solution actually does. Okay, the sixth reason your research report isn't driving demand, poor analysis. So a lot of companies simply can't do data analysis, as we just discussed. But then there's another group of companies that think they can do data analysis, but they leave it to marketers and writers. 
Data analysis and writing are two completely different skill sets that both take years to refine on their own. Jeff has been doing this for 15 years. He lives in Excel. And there are companies, I've seen this, in the research space actually, literally expect their writers to do what Jeff does as part of writing the report. And you can tell when you read these reports. And you know you can't always know whether this is lack of skill or outright deception, but it really doesn't matter because the result is the same. A report that doesn't drive demand because the audience is confused, which leads them to becoming apathetic. So here are a couple examples of what I'm talking about, this stat manipulation, which I actually wouldn't even call it that because that's like a compliment. Manipulating data is an actual skill. Like Jeff, would you say that is what you do? Yeah, technically. Yeah, data manipulation simply refers to arranging and organizing data to make it easier to understand. But as we were saying, there's a big difference between doing it objectively and allowing the insights to come naturally versus searching for a specific data point to validate your narrative, regardless of how relevant or accurate it is. Yeah, yeah. And so, okay, so what this looks like in practice for companies, a big one is adding stats together in multi-select questions. So multi-select means checkboxes, so not radio buttons, which means you can select more than one. So an example of this, we saw a report said that 90% of people said two things were challenges to them from a multi-select question. But they literally just added 50% of one of the things to 48% of the other thing. And for a multi-select question, you can't add the percentages together. Otherwise, you may be double counting people. You know, while we're here, why not say that 220% of respondents said X, Y, and Z, right? And this is Statistics 101, so there's no way this is done by an analyst. And if it was, they shouldn't have a job. And I know some people think I'm probably being harsh right now, but this is part of a much larger theme of the hubris of marketers, you know, thinking they can do just any job. Like it honestly doesn't occur to some of them that other roles require a lot of skill. And it's a really big problem because marketers don't realize this. They think their problem is that they don't know how to do every single discipline that falls under the umbrella of marketing. And then they go and complain about how hard their life is on LinkedIn. And, you know, that isn't their problem. Their problem is that they think they can do all these things. But more importantly, data analysis is a very, very serious thing for a business. The wrong data analysis can literally kill a company. I would honestly liken it to like a botched surgery. Yeah, that analogy is really not far off. You know, data in the wrong hands can be really dangerous. I was often the analyst in the room who didn't have a preference what the data said. I was simply trying to represent the truth as I saw it. But the stakeholders I interacted with, they do have an emotional investment in their launch or their campaign being viewed successfully. Early in my career, I had a lot of situations where those stakeholders cherry-picked through performance data to find positive outcomes from their campaigns. So I quickly saw the value of defining KPIs and setting targets well in advance of any kind of campaign so we could all collectively agree on how success would be measured before launch. Yeah, and another example is adding adjectives or descriptors to stats, but not providing context. So there's a stat in a report that said 35% of people have an email design specialist. But when we talk about the stat, they said a large percentage of companies. So 35% is basically one third. That is not a large percentage. Unless previously that percentage was 2% or something, you know, a couple of years ago, then you could say a much larger percentage from previous years based on X, but then you'd have to cite the study that produced the 2%. And then another version is sensationalizing or overemphasizing certain data points to support your point. So for example, there was a digital asset management company and their report read, only 14% are very satisfied with how digital assets are stored. So they were trying really hard to make the claim that people aren't thrilled with their digital asset management system. But there's two threads here. Based on the data, only a combined 16% were either dissatisfied or very dissatisfied. But they were using the people who were neutral in order to bolster their claim that people were not super happy with their digital asset management system. 
But more importantly, feeling neutrally about a major piece of enterprise software is completely fine. I would say most feel neutral about many aspects of their tech stack. That is not going to compel someone to completely switch to a new product. The bottom line is, if you can't afford or aren't willing to invest in data analysis, you should not be doing a research report. Okay, the seventh reason your research report isn't driving demand. Confusing or inaccurate visualizations. So the purpose of data visualizations are meant to help you see something more easily than you could explain in words. You know, a quick peek at a great data visualization can help you see the storyline super quickly and super clearly as well. But like data analysis, bad visualizations can actually backfire because they can stop readers in their tracks by confusing them. And again, if your reader is confused, they're not going to buy from you. Full stop. So this is a similar issue to the last one where it's not clear whether they left it to a marketer or graphic designer to figure it out, like whether they were trying to deceive people or not. But again, it doesn't matter. The result is the exact same, a confused audience who won't buy your product. So we actually have some examples of bad visualizations in the webinar, which we'll link to. But here are a couple data visualization best practices based on the mistakes we saw. So number one, graphics must be proportional to the numbers or percentages they represent. Must. This is probably the most common example we saw in reports, and it sounds like common sense. We thought it was. But so many companies just made the graphics literally whatever size they wanted. You know, it's similar to the storyline where it's like they made the graphic before they had the data. And then the second best practice is data must be put in logical order. So for example, if you have a graph on the top five challenges for executive respondents, you need to put them in order from greatest challenge to least challenge. Because when things are in order, our brains can't make sense of them. And if your readers can't make sense of it, you can't drive demand. All right, so those are the seven reasons your research report isn't driving demand. Number one, scope is too broad. Number two, the survey audience isn't your ICP. Number three, you're focusing on your product, not your audience's pain points. Four, you're using FOMO as a reason to buy. Five, there's no analysis, aka it's just a data dump. Six, you're doing poor analysis. Seven, you have confusing or inaccurate visualizations. And in our next episode, we'll be flipping the script and going over how to do a research report that does drive demand. In the meantime, if you're looking to drive demand with a research report of your own, we'd love to help. We've got some availability for a couple of clients, and you can get in touch with us at circinresearch.com. Thanks, everybody, and we'll see you next time.